Gospel, chapter 15. My title, as you can see behind me, People with a Purpose. There's never been a greater need for purpose. I mean real purpose. Understanding what God's great mission is for you and for your life. John 15 verse 8 reads like this. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. A number of years ago, a book was published in the United States of America, which was a critique of American society and its success orientation. But before we go any further, I believe it is equally applicable to us here in Britain. So this isn't an anti-American statement. Please believe me. But the book was entitled, Rich, Free, and Miserable. And it was talking about the failure of success in America. In other words, even what we consider to be success, whether it's prosperity, whether it's being in a comfortable job, living in a good neighborhood, having enough things around us, success does not bring deep happiness and peace. In fact, along with increasing success in successive generations have has also come increasing misery. So the question we ask is this, how is it that when we have so much, and I include most Western society, certainly us here in Britain, how is it that we have so much and yet are still so unsatisfied? Is it because we have a selfish pursuit of our own dreams? Is it because we are ego-driven in our living and goal-setting, looking for self-attainment, self-satisfaction, self-fulfillment, personal pleasure. And the plain message of the Bible is when you pursue these things, they elude you. But the wisdom of Jesus is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus helps us with this question. Why am I here? Is there an overarching plan and purpose for my life? Is there a reason why God put me on this planet? You say, well, I never asked to be born. No, how could you? But God has put you here. You say, well, I was not planned I was a mistake. Well, parents make mistakes. There's such thing as accidental parenthood. I understand that. But never accidental birth. Never. God's plan and purpose is fulfilled when he knit you together in your mother's womb. And he brought you forth for a purpose. And here Jesus, who is the most qualified person of all to tell us about it, actually explains what this purpose is. First thing he says is you are called to live for the Father's glory. You are called to live for a purpose beyond yourself and to link up with God's plan, God's purpose for your life. And this is what our society needs more than ever before. We need this. This week we've, had, we've seen the celebrations of uh, Queen Elizabeth's, her uh, 
60th uh, celebration of uh, 60 years after her coronation. And I hope you were able to catch in the media, the press, the television, some of the things that happened this week in Westminster Abbey. Uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury gave a, an excellent address in which he was looking at the Queen's dedication to duty and describing it in terms which were sacred. This is a sacred, lifelong duty. And in fact, those three words are difficult in our current generation. First of all, sacred. No, there's nothing sacred except my views and opinions. God, he may be around somewhere, but he doesn't have much to do with me. And certainly he can't tell me how to live. I know how to live my own life. Thank you very much. So the idea of that which is truly sacred and pure and holy, that which belongs to God, including us, that is not a popular opinion today. And how about lifelong? Lifelong. Do you know the laws of marriage are such that your higher purchase uh, agreement on some of your luxury goods are more binding than the marriage contract? Now, I'm in a great mood to talk about this today because Amanda and I are celebrating 34 years of marriage today. 34 years, my dear, and you haven't changed a bit. You are just as lovely as when 34 years ago you walked down the aisle in this church. Ah, oh, yes, okay, all right. Now, we've got all the eyes. Well, but I want to say something. 34 years is not yet a lifetime. So this idea of lifelong commitment is something that is almost totally absent from this generation. The queen, 60 years ago, belongs to a generation which has long since passed its sell-by date in terms of its values. But she's a great example of somebody who gave herself to sacred, lifelong duty. And there's the other thing, duty. It's my duty. We don't like that word. My duty is to do what I please. Thank you very much. My truth is my duty. My duty is my truth. And the truth is, I want to please me. That is selfish, a kind of human, fallen human nature, but it is playing out in our current society in ways in which people choose to live for themselves, choose their own values, pick and choose their own religions, uh, and look for the things that they believe are going to serve them the most and most beneficial to themselves. And in this environment, we have three things, two things which are happening and one thing I want to help make happen today. Number one, we have the survival mentality. People out there say, listen, if I can survive, hey, I live in London. It's all about survival. If I can get through one week, you know, without too much drama, if I can get my shopping, my, work, my washing, my cooking, my eating, my feeding, my job, my work, <laughs> and help me, God help me, my church, if I can squeeze all that into one week, I have survived for another week. Well, I can see you're here this week. Congratulations. You are survivors. Amen. A song comes to mind, but I would not be qualified to sing it. But there are others who are more than survivors. Yeah. These are people who are successful. Successful people. And as far as most people's ambitions go, we want to go from survival to success. And success is defined however you wish to choose to define it. It might be that you are successful at work, successful in business. It might mean that you are successful financially. And, and these are often seen to be good goals and godly goals, and I wouldn't dispute that, but they are not the key thing. 
Because we need to go from survival, even past success, and we need to get to God's purpose. And the truth is, only God's purpose is going to give you what you truly long for. Because God has made you like that. Imagine, before the universe was created, there was only God. And I want to tell you something, he wasn't lonely. Because our God is not some cold, monolithic singularity. Our God is Trinity. Eternal, intrapersonal communion. Totally self-sufficient, not as an isolated oneness. But God who is one in his being exists eternally in three co-eternal and co-equal persons. God the Father, whoever loved God the Son. God the Son, whoever existed in loving relationship with God the Father. And God the Holy Spirit, the spirit of communion and the spirit of love. Totally, totally self-sufficient and resplendent in glory. Needing nothing but choosing rather to share Purpose and destiny and community and relationship and glory. Choosing to share that. And so creating a universe. Not as some kind of super effort that he managed to do on one occasion. Drumming up all his massive omnipotence. Going and training for a, for a few millennia so that he can have super fantastic muscles one day so that he could just about do this most amazing thing called creation. And then, oh, I've got to rest now. No, no, no. The Bible says, by the word of the Lord, were the heavens created, their starry host by the breath of his lips, he simply said, let there be. And I don't think that even what we see in the universe is God at full volume. The Bible says these are but the outskirts of his ways. How faint or whisper do we hear of him. All he had to do is say, let there be. He, didn't, he wasn't Pentecostal at that point. Every self-respecting Pentecostal pastor would have said, let there be. And there was. No, he just said, let there be. Because when God is God, he doesn't have to raise his voice. He just speaks and it is done. The Bible speaks about the creation being the work of his fingertips. And when he created this wonderful universe, he earmarked a tiny little corner right out of the way, not at the center, but somewhere just tucked away, a little speck of dust called planet Earth. And there on planet Earth, he created a humanity. <coughs> And he said to this humanity, I've made you in my image. And my image means you and I can talk. You and I can walk together. You and I can understand each other. You and I can have fellowship. And that's why I have made you. And you will never ever be happy without me. Because that's how it is. I made you for myself. So that we, I could share the depth of whom, who I am. And I've also given you a job to do. I want you to represent me. In fact, he said to the first couple, he said, Now, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. 
fill the earth and subdue it. Strange. You see, when we think of the word subdue, we think about authoritarian, dominating, control, abuse. That's what we think. But you see, when we talk about God's kingdom, it means everything is set in order under him. And when we are in order under him, everything works. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, when he preached the gospel, finished with these words. Save yourself from this crooked generation. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And the word crooked there is the same word where we get the word scoliosis from. Without God, this whole world and everybody in it is out of joint. That's why there is pain and suffering in our world. It's out of joint. If anybody has had a back problem, you know how painful it is. I mean, if you have a, a curvature of the spine, no matter how slight, it, it, it produces difficulties. If there is a, 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 a vertebrae out of place, it is excruciatingly painful. And because this whole world is out of joint, that's why we see the suffering in the world, creation itself, God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to line it up again in the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no more pain or suffering or dying or, or tears or even sickness. There won't need to be a healing ministry in heaven. We'll have other ministries. And so he says, I want you to put this world in order, beginning with yourselves, set everything in order under me. And that was God's purpose, that we would represent him. We'd be in fellowship with him. We'd be in relationship with him. And Romans 3 verse 23 says how far we have fallen short of this. It says all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus says, now, I'm putting you back into joint. I'm taking that stuff out of your life, that crooked stuff out of your life. And I'm lining you up with the word of God because that is the only sure standard of what is straight and what is right and what is good and what is pleasing and what is holy and what is fulfilling and what is purposeful. So living for God's glory means that we are lining up with God. We've invited Christ as king into our lives and we're letting him straighten out those crooked parts of our lives in our thinking, in our value systems. In what is right and what is wrong. We are prepared to accept from above what is right and we line up with that. doesn't mean to say we kiss our brains goodbye. The Bible is a wonderful document. In fact, it's a, a library of books. 66 books written by over 40 authors but inspired by God over a period of at least 1,600, 1,400 years, speaks with one voice God's revelation on how to live in a way that gives meaning and purpose and joy and satisfaction despite the environment in which we live and the difficulties that we face. So most people are living for themselves rather than for God. But there you can find some people who are actually clear examples which appear to be different. They're those who seem to be so clear that their purpose on this planet is to live for other people. 
We see this in relationships. Husbands are prepared to, prepared to lay down their lives for their wives. <laughs> I was waiting for an amen from this side here. <laughs> Parents who sacrifice for their children. Individuals who put family sometimes above their own personal interests. People who sacrifice for the community. People who give their lives for the nation. And we should honor the queen. You think, well, give me her money. I'll be prepared to do her job. I wonder. She can't go anywhere. She can't choose where she goes. Imagine going to all those places and all those things looking as if you really are interested. <laughs> and people who serve humanity. This week, not only have we seen the celebration of the Queen, but we've also heard news of Nelson Mandela, not so well in hospital. If you ever want an example from our generation, of our age, of a man who lived beyond himself. I remember when he was first released from prison and brought back into public life. And all we ever had in Britain over the years, during the years of apartheid, during all those years, all we ever had was the picture on the screen of a young man, I think in his 20s, 25, of a terrorist. A man who was committed to to bring his uh, cause into being by violence. And we know that Nelson Mandela came to a point where he, did, where he renounced violence and spent so many years in prison. But when he came out, I don't know what, if you were around at that time, I don't know what you were expecting. We certainly weren't expecting a man who'd step out fully developed as a major national and international statesman. A man who bucked the trend where the domination of European civilization and European governments, whether it's the British government, Belgian government, French government, and all the years of independence and all the struggles that that meant. A man who said, we will not go down the route of violence. We'll do it by peace and reconciliation and building a society where we can live together, whatever our color And we can admire people like that. But you know, you could be the world's most rich, the richest, philip, most philanthrop, uh, person that loves to give money away. Yes. <laughs> Philanthropist. Yeah, but then you, you do funny things with it in this English language of yours. <laughs> And I'll say two things about that. Number one, it's not going to get you to heaven. And number two, unless it is genuinely done for a motive of the glory of God through Christ, ultimately, it's all about you. Ultimately. Because you see, when Jesus spoke about this, he said, there's two things you've got to understand. In fact, the whole of the law of Moses is summarized by this. 
And at that time, it was applicable for Jesus. It was apposite for Jesus to talk about the law of Moses. He was talking to people still under the law of Moses, talking to Jews. But the principles apply for us all. What God requires of us, first of all, is that we should love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love our neighbor as ourselves. And love for neighbor means absolutely nothing if it doesn't flow out of love from God, love for God. Why? Because, you see, we may say love for neighbor, that's what it's all about. Love your fellow man, good, good, good. But why should I do that? Because it's a good thing. Who says it is good? How do you measure that? Well, we can measure that. You're saying that we can measure it for ourselves? Yes, yes, man is the measure of all things. Well, who measures man? So we, with this idea that we can just go our own way and look, do what is right and do what we think is right actually leads us to the mess of today. We need God's word. Living for God's glory means discovering who he is, what he values. His righteousness doesn't just say seek the kingdom. It says seek the righteousness of God, which means there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong and those are based on the nature and character of God. They're not based on what we think, what we choose. Truth and morality, they are not opinion polls. We see today that many people are choosing their morality based on popular opinion. But that popular opinion has been molded and shaped by wicked God-rejecting people. They say, look, it's popular opinion. You've spent six generations or 60 years shaping that opinion, and now you're saying, look, it's not what I think, it's what they think. You have fed them every lie that they have believed. It's time that we think for ourselves and assess for ourselves whether the Word of God really is the standard which God has given to us by which we can have a bedrock foundation for life and living for time and eternity. Living for God's glory. Then he goes on to talk about fruit. But I want to touch the last part of the saying and come back to fruitfulness. Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. I'm coming back to that. So you will be my disciples. I don't think you've discovered anything about what you are called to do and be until you really come to terms with the call of discipleship over your life. Discipleship means so following Jesus that you allow him to shape your life that you become like him. The whole plan of God's salvation, the big narrative of the plan of salvation is not that we just get a ticket to heaven. When you travel, you want to know if you've got a ticket and you have a passport and you have a visa. Passport, ticket, visa, right, then you're ready to travel. And if you look like your passport photograph, please don't travel because you'll probably be too ill to travel. <laughs> I say that every time. I say, do I look like my passport photograph? They say, yes. I said, well, I should never have traveled because if I look like that, I must be feeling pretty sick. 
But the big, the big story is not just about getting a ticket to heaven. Thank God you got a ticket to heaven. And if you haven't got a ticket to heaven, you need to get one today. Now what is it? What is it? It's very simple. There is a line. On this side, you're not saved. That side, you are saved. How do you step from darkness to light, from death to life, from being not saved with a destination that we don't want to talk about too often because it's an eternity without Christ. You think hell is on earth. You ain't seen nothing yet. How do you go from that to living in the light of God, with the life of God, with the love of God, the assurance of God, and knowing that whatever happens to you, the day, the moment you die, you will be with God forever in his kingdom and in what we call heaven. Hallelujah. How? Oh, very, very simple. The moment you believe and put your trust in Christ, you step from darkness to light, from death to life, from a heaven, from a hell-bound destiny to a heavenly destination. And I believe in that. We preach that. If you've never made that decision, you need to make it today. You need to say, yes, I received Christ in my life. Because believe me, you may be betting that there is on there is no heaven. You may be betting on there is no God. Well, there is greater evidence that there is, so you better bet on the right side. You better put your trust in who Jesus claimed to be. This stuff is hidden from view because the the Bible message is ridiculed. The gospel message is, is being pushed to the sidelines. Get it yourself. Read it yourself. Jesus himself said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Now, either he was speaking the truth or he was telling a lie. And if you don't know the difference, you better find out quickly. Because if he's telling the truth and you haven't believed him, you are in big trouble. Because there's no other way. This is the challenge. And it's about time you told your friends that. Not just saying, I love you, have another cup of coffee. Say, I love you too much to leave you like this. i got to tell you, you need to give your life to Christ. Some of you this week could go back to the office, go back to your families, go back to your places where you come from and say, sister, brother, friend, you need Jesus. I've been here for years talking to you, loving you and praying for you, but it's time you decided, what are you going to do with Jesus? So there is a line to cross, and of course we thank God for that. But you know, it's not just about knowing that where you're going when you die. Christianity is about following Jesus now and seeing his character being produced in your life, formed and shaped in your life. Discipleship is not just about church attendance. Now, many people go to church, many people call themselves Christians, and God knows, maybe they are, but they're certainly not disciples, because a disciple is somebody who is living the way Jesus calls them to live. By their fruits, you will know them. And we don't teach in this church easy believism. All you have to do is accept Jesus and you just leave it there. No, you do not leave it there. If he means anything to you, pretty soon he's going to mean everything to you. That's why we have a discipleship structure. 
It's not about just what we do and say together in these Sunday services, as, as important as they are. It's about how you group together and help one another in this process of becoming like Jesus. Amen. So we receive new life. We become part of the family of God. We live according to the values of the government of God. Jesus says in this passage, I am the vine, you are the branches. Stay connected to me. But there is a corollary there that if we are connected to him in the same vine, we are also connected to each other. And that's what church is about. It's divine Holy Spirit connections. It's not about sitting in a building. It's about who you are in connection with others. And how do you explore, explore this? How do you develop this? How do you exploit it even to get the most out of it? It's not just by Sunday gathering as important as that is. But it's about being the church 24-7. In other words, expressing who you are as the body of Christ right where you are. And that's where the cell vision really helps you. The cell vision is nothing more than a structure, nothing more than a scaffolding. And we have erected that as part of the structure of the church. And you need to use it. It's created for you with love from us to say, come on, people. It's how you live every day and you're going to need somebody every day. Somebody that you can pray with, somebody that you can talk to, somebody that can say to you, uh-huh, uh-uh, uh-uh, no way. Somebody who can say, bring me, show me your husband. When Jesus spoke to people, it wasn't just to the crowds. To the crowds, he spoke big things, but to individuals, he says, lady, go and bring your husband. And he would wait there till, till he came. That's cell ministry. What do you mean my husband? I haven't got one. No, of course you haven't got one. You've had five and the guy you have now is not your husband. How do you know that? It must be a prophet. We need people alongside us who will give us the Jesus talk. And not just say, well, you're hearing that. So, okay, where, what, what, what exactly did you say? What exactly did you say? Okay, this, what, this woman. Okay, what, you, you what? You spent the night with her? You did? We're going to have a word about that. Listen, there are boundaries. Why should we not be clear about our boundaries? We are a community. Every community has its boundaries. I mean, if you wanted to join the Labour Party, there'd be a boundary. And you'd have to agree to be included. Is that not right? Whether it's political parties, whether it's sporting clubs, and we're not a political party, we're not a sporting club. I'll tell you who we are. We're the body of Christ. Amen. And there are boundaries. You're either in or out of the body of Christ. And if you're in the body of Christ, then you have a call upon your life about how you live. This is not a barrier. There are too many barriers, but not enough boundaries. This is not a free-for-all. A disciple of Jesus Christ accepts there is absolutely no place for any sin at all in our lives. <laughs> doesn't say there is no sin. There's plenty. But we say it's unacceptable. And we say, Jesus, help me. We say to one another, help me. We go to the Word of God and find out what God says. Because frankly, we cannot take our morality from what is happening in our society even amongst the so-called moral people 
because they have so changed the goalposts. They've so changed the boundaries. They're like, it's like trying to play cricket underwater with a hot air balloon. I can't think of anything more ridiculous than that. But that's exactly, no rules, just make it up as you do whatever you want to do and call that morality. I tell you, people of God, we need to get back to what God says and lay those boundaries around our lives. To love Him and please Him and to help one another. Becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Then, we come to the middle bit, being fruitful for Him. And I put this last because this is where I want to leave it today. My message is, how can we discover God's great purpose for our lives? What is God's mission? And Jesus said, said it clearly. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. Like this, in this manner, so you will be my disciples. So when we've surrendered to God, attached our lives to Christ and are following him as disciples, what will happen next? Jesus says, you're going to bear fruit. Amen. Amen. You're going to bear fruit. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And later on Jesus says, you did not choose me, I chose you. That you might bear fruit and that your fruit might remain. Fruitfulness. Be fruitful and multiply. He's never reversed that. It's a blessing. It's not just a physical thing in the first, in the, in the first creation mandate. It is now in the gospel mandate. Fill the earth and subdue it. Go make disciples of all nations. Be fruitful and multiply. God has given you some seed. You're on the vine. And the vine that we're on produces grapes. And I want to tell you, these grapes are the seed-bearing type of grapes. I go into that a lot in this book. Uh, people with a passion. And this is the manual, the training manual. For our vision in Kensington Temple, every self-respecting, tongue-talking, tithe-paying, happy, clappy person within the sound of the ministry of Kensington Temple should have your copy. Amen and amen. amen. I spent a lot of time on that, so I won't go into it now, but let me just say, when I was in France, and, and the French, they love grapes. They love to do a lot of things with grapes, which I won't go into. Very nice things. <laughs> but uh, one of the things is, is that I was eating these grapes and, um, you know, it took a little while to catch on with what was happening. You eat and they become crunchy in the middle and got to spit stuff out, eat some more. I said, what is this? He said, it's a grape. I said, but there's seeds in this. See, I've been too influenced by Notting Hill Gate. <laughs> you go to the grape counter in any of these stores and you see the Notting Hill people come. <laughs> I'd like a bunch of grapes, please, will you? Yes. Uh, do these grapes have seeds? Seed, madam? No. No. We're not like the French. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I guarantee you can eat these grapes, no seed. 
Okay? So you know, there exists seedless grapes and grapes with seed. So there exists sterile grapes and fruitful grapes. God has made you a seed-bearing grape. God has put seed in you. And this seed is amazing because it carries the nature of Christ. It means you are born again by the seed of the word of God. The living, incorruptible, eternal word of God lives in you. And that produces Christ's life in you. That's the first thing. The first fruit that we're talking about is the fruit of a Christ-like character. Read Galatians 5 verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, long-suffering, faithfulness. Read that. That's the fruit. That's Jesus' nature being produced in you. And I tell you, They'd have less to gripe about over out there if we grew more Jesus grapes in our life. Because this fruit is for them. They stick with you. And they say, that's nice. That's delicious. What's that? Well, that's love. Oh, really? I haven't tasted that before. What's that? That's patience. What's that? That's joy. And they can, hanging around you, they start to enjoy the fruit because they say, this is wonderful. Jesus, because he had so much fruit of God's glory and presence, the the sinners flocked to him. Amen. It's attractive. And this is the first aspect. Jesus wants to reproduce his nature in you. And the seeds of his nature are there. You are a new creation. All things are passed away. Everything has become new. God's Holy Spirit lives in you. And he is leading you and guiding you and producing the nature and the character and the glory of God in your life. The Bible calls that holiness sanctification. Hallelujah. Fruit. The fruit of Christ's nature seen in you. And that's your agenda every single day of your life between now until Jesus returns. That's why we meet together to help cultivate through the Spirit of God the character of Christ to do what Jesus would do. To be how Jesus wants us to be. That's fruit. Hallelujah. But it's not just what he produces in you but also what he reproduces through you. Amen. So Christ must first be formed in you, and then he can be reproduced through you. And that's what fruit means. Multiply. Multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Hallelujah. How does it happen? John 12, 24, straight from the lips of Jesus. And he is the great example of this. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain, much fruit. So what you do is you sow your life sacrificially into serving 
That's how the kingdom comes. Justin Welby, in his sermon on the 4th of June, I think that would be uh, Tuesday, I guess. He spoke from the passage, Matthew 20, 27, whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. It's a very powerful message because talk about a visual aid. That's what happens when you're the archbishop. The queen becomes your visual aid. She's my visual aid today, but she's not, <laughs> unless she snuck in somewhere, you know. <laughs> Sixty years ago, she knelt before God in private prayer. And she knelt before in um, Westminster Abbey, where there is something engraved there which says the kingdoms of this world are the kingdoms of Christ and of God. So we have the, the, the queen, and 60 years ago, it wasn't just the British Isles. She was the empress of what was even at that time still one of the largest, most extensive empires. Back in the day, even when I went to school, I know it's a long time ago, but some of you remember, nearly all the world was pink. Remember that? And thank God how she has also presided over handing those nations back to the, for autonomy and the, the Commonwealth came out of that. But there she is, a very powerful lady, young woman in her mid-twenties, very powerful lady, bowing before God, accepting a sacred duty and, and, and realizing that she was accepting a lifelong commitment to serve the nation. And by the way, it's not just her commitment between her and God, but the very words that are said in the coronation oath are the words that are placed in her mouth by the authority of our British Constitution and our Parliament. We made her say those things. We are as part of that. We are just as committed to God through that promise as she is to serve one another and to serve the living God and to uphold the gospel in our nation. Pray now before when the new situation happens because our queen may she live for a long time. She is not going to live forever. And there are already dark clouds gathering around that situation. And this story from Matthew 27 is this discussion amongst the... Uh, Disciples, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be this? Who's going to be that? And Jesus said, listen, you are talking like the world. The world exercises authority and rule and govern by dominating. And he says, listen, the son of man himself, me, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life, my very life as a ransom for many. Those words are to be on our lips as well. Jesus' death was sacrificial and substitutionary, paying the price for the sins of the world. We don't have to die for our sins. We don't have to die for the sins of another. But we give our lives in service, sacrificial service to all and sundry, and in that the kingdom comes. No other kingdom is worth extending. So being fruitful for him is saying, I accept, Lord, I accept your authority that you made me, you created me, and I will not find purpose outside of you. And I accept your kingdom, I accept your rule of my life, I accept your word, I might struggle with whole chunks of it, but I know if I argue with this, I'm arguing against you, help me, help me. And it's not easy. 
It's not easy to put your mind in alignment with the Word of God when it seems to go everything against everything we would wish for ourselves. But when we put our trust in God and His Word, we discover He's right. His way is best. He was right all along. His way of dealing with sexuality is best, is best, not just righteous, but also best. It's the most fruitful. His way of doing families is best. It's the most wonderful way. His way of living, his way of forgiving, his way of loving people is best. His way of serving people is best. It brings reward. It brings richness. It brings joy. It brings peace. It is best. It is life. And then we say, Jesus, how do we do this? Well, you did it. Let's follow you. And so Jesus leads us. But he doesn't just lead us one step ahead. He leads us from within. Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. And then we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'm going to do that. And in doing that, I'm going to lay down my very life. I'm going to die to myself, my own ambitions, my own desire to survive, my own desire to succeed. And I'm going to live according to your purpose. And in doing that, I'm going to spread the message like nobody. I'm going to be absolutely crazy for the gospel. I'm going to gossip it everywhere. I'm going to demonstrate it everywhere. Often, I hope I can do it with words. But sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes you just have to do it with our lives. And that's even more powerful. And when we sow our lives like that, we're going to reproduce. We are going to multiply. Keep on multiplying and multiplying. And pretty soon, they'll look around and say, what happened? What happened to our liberal experiment? What happened to all our secularism? What happened to our humanism? It was spoiled. Those blankety-blank Christians, they bred like blankety-blank rabbits. What are we going to do? If you can't beat them, join them. They're going to come in. Amen and amen. This way of living not only is the best and the right way to live, but it's the way of life that needs to be demonstrated to this crooked generation that has scoliosis out of joint with the living God. And when we demonstrate that, You watch the difference. It won't happen overnight. What we've lost in our nation will not be covered, will not be recovered by one revival. Even a revival hit Britain now, it would take two or three generations to recover what we've lost. So we better get busy now. Because he said, May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Amen. Let's pray. Father. We thank you that you challenge us to live for your glory and it's a challenge that we joyfully and delightfully accept because it is the best way of living. Living with the purpose of God. We'll never have to come to the end of our lives and discover that we've been going in the wrong direction, putting our faith in the wrong thing, climbing the ladder leaned against the wrong wall, We know that when we line up with you, everything else makes sense. Now with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want to pray for anybody today who says, I want Jesus in my life. 
Everybody, anybody who says, I need Christ, I, I want to know this Jesus. You talk about a ticket to heaven, it sounds weird to me, but I think I need one. Anybody that says, I don't know what will happen to me if I die. I've got my theories, but I don't know. Will you help me, please? I want to pray for you. My prayers will not make all the difference. You're going to have to come to the place where you say, Jesus, I need you, and you have to invite him. I can't invite him to come to you. He's already standing outside the door of your life. He's waiting for you to open the door and let him in. That's your responsibility. All I can do is get you to listen to the knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, Revelation 3.20, and opens the door and lets me and I will come into him and I will sup with him. I will commune with him. That's the invitation of Christ. Open the door of your life if that's you, if that's what you want. I want to pray for you and we'll pray briefly at this point. Our time is gone, but we won't rush away. Somebody will stand with you straight after this service. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that is you and you know you want it, just lift your hand. No business now, just lift your hand and I'm going to pray for you right now. Thank you. God bless you. Lift your hand high so I can see it and somebody else can see it is going to stand with you. Anybody else, lift your hand high. Lift your hand high. You know you need to get saved. If that's you, lift your hands. Over there in the overflow area, downstairs, coronet, wherever, be watching, lifting hands. Father, I pray for these people, God bless you, who've lifted their hands and I say, God, make this real to them. Only you can reveal yourself to them. We can talk about you, but you alone can introduce yourself. So they know this isn't just a matter of an idea, but it's a reality, a person, a real person. So Holy Spirit, make it real, we pray. Touch their lives. And for all of us, we pray, Lord, that we would move into the higher levels of living from survival beyond success to your purpose in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give Jesus a mighty praise. God bless you.